Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mikey Bard Show. Today's a very exciting episode because we're here with another creative guest, Ooh. Oliver Shaw. Go to bed, she said. You'll be better dead. A singer, songwriter, poet, and musician who writes all of his original music. Uh, born in London, who grew up uh, most of his life in Camden Town, and he'll tell you all about that. And the interesting thing about Oliver Shaw, as I said, he's a singer-songwriter and he writes amazing music and he's going to give us some insight about his journey and a little bit about the craft in itself. So let's give him a call on the fly. And you know this on the Mikey Bar Show, we like to call people up and hopefully they answer, which they always do. Hello, Mikey. How are you doing? Oliver Shaw, welcome to the Mikey Bar Show. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on, mate. It's amazing to have you. And as I was telling the audience, today is all yeah. about, you know, songwriting. And, you know, I, I was giving off some of your accolades. Yeah. But maybe you could explain, well, thank you. Um, you know, more to the people. Because I was mentioning that, you know, you are, you know, you, you, you reside mainly in, in Camden Town. Um, yeah. But well, you, I, yeah, I've I've kind of, I'm from, I'm from that neck of the woods, really. It's weird how I have an affiliation to Camden because I'm from I'm from Edgware originally, so I'm from the furthest point of North London. You know where you wake up, drunk, disorderly, and where the hell's Edgware? Yeah, you know, that's how I describe Edgware. It's like the end of the Northern Line. That's where I'm from. Uh, but I, I lived for about four years with my mum when I was a kid in Camden, and then as very much an adult, I've kind of played around Camden a lot in the last five years. So I'm kind of and I, I like my connection to Camden. It's almost like one of my heroes in music was Graham Coxon. And for some reason, I think it's because he used to hang about the good mixer. Everyone affiliated him as like the king of Camden. So I quite like that. Actually. <laughs> I'm quite proud of my affiliation with Camden for some reason. Well, as I say, you know, you are the last of the Camden Rock and Rollers. Um, not that, yeah. you know, you, you know, you, you know. Thanks very much. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. Today, but yeah. I'll take Easter it. I'll Sunday, take it yeah, no, Easter it's Sunday. a special day today, you know, and, and let's, let's get into the insights yeah. of who you are for the audience. Cause I know you quite well. Cause we, you know, I've seen you perform many, yeah. many times. How did you first get into music? You have indeed. Uh, oh God. Uh, when I was about 14, I got my first guitar for Christmas. For some reason, it, it within that summer, I, I, I was obsessed by football. It's all I lived and breathed was football. Um, I'm a massive football fan. I won't say who I support, but <laughs> I'm a massive football fan. And I just, within a summer, I, just, I saw, I think it was the Beatles anthology. I was 13, 14, wanted my first guitar. Beatles anthology was like, you know, an hour every Sunday, I think it was. And everyone in England, if you've grown up in England, everyone knows what the Beatles look like or a song or a bit about the Beatles. But it, having the artistry and the imagery and the iconology all kind of set for us in this amazing documentary, I'd recommend it to any kid, actually, or anyone who's kind of interested in getting in a band because they kind of set the template, I guess. And it was that, got my first guitar, didn't really start playing, though, because I just didn't. I'm self-taught and I started when I was about 15, probably a year later. I think boredom and musicians is a good mix. I think I had a very boring couple of years from when I was 15, 16, no mates, and I just started playing the guitar, basically. And that's that's when I prop, that's the honest answer of how I started to play music, really. And then, you know, started ad adoring certain bands from the 60s, 70s, and and the, the Nowsies, you know, probably heard this like early 2000s, I guess. So we yeah, was a good kind of palette of music to take from even then. 
So you had a good palette of music, and you mentioned the Beatles as well, and I've got a few quotes here. Unfortunately, I can't yeah. play the original quotes, so I haven't got time, so I'm just going to have to do their voice. So this is one from yeah, John no Lennon worries. talking about songwriting. Songwriting. Oh, I love Lennon. <laughs> I love John in quotes. Yeah. Songwriting is like being possessed. You try to go yeah. to sleep, but the song won't let you. <laughs> and <laughs> Not bad. This yeah. one's from Paul McCartney. I think people who create and write, it actually does flow, just flows into their head, into their head, into their hands. You write it down, it's, it's simple. Well, that's your quotes. This is great, Donald by the way. <laughs> I, prefer, I prefer your impressions than the actual quotes. <laughs> what is your, you know, what was your best performance? Or best performance, whatever. Mm. Uh, do you know what? I, I to narrow it down. There's, I mean, there's been a few because I've been playing for quite a long time. I've been playing in bands since I was probably about eighteen. Uh so for quite a long time. But I probably because somebody asked me not a dissimilar question. It's the same answer to a, a, another question someone asked me ages ago, and it was what what was the best gig that you you could have gone back to? You know, and it was, this was during the pandemic when we couldn't see live music, and my answer would be the same as this this question. Uh, my best gig and my favourite gig I think I've ever played was the last gig before the pandemic. So it was early March of like a couple of years back. And it was in Paris, me and my little band, the Oliver Shaw Experience. We play at the place called La Truscal, which is in Opera, for anyone that knows Paris. And um, and it was just, I don't know, it was just elation. It was meant to be a warm-up to what was meant to be an album launch for my second album of Dark Plains. And it was just a very, very good gig, you know. It wasn't just we were musically tight or we were amazing. It was just, I don't know, the feeling of elation. Sometimes every now and then, you know, you work, it's like what you do in acting or creating or directing. Um, every now and then, all the stars align. You're right, right, this is why I do it, I guess, you know, because it's, there's moments of clarity, right? And you think, oh, that's why I do this, you know, that's why I put all this work in. Because in, mon- in music these days, there's, there's hardly any money. Not everyone says, oh, you're amazing, you know, on a daily basis. You've got to, you've got, it's got to be a madness that comes from within. And and every now and then you you know you have those moments you think right this is it this is why I do this you know well that was gonna ask you so it was How it was ha- in Paris yeah Mar- March of two years ago is <laughs> 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 the answer quick answer yeah I was gonna ask you how how do you energize the audience because you go uh, on stage night after night you get a warm up act you get someone like yourself to do a bit of stand up <laughs> comedy <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's so- how I energize them. Uh, I don't know. You get actually. Well, that's a good point. You get good support acts, good support bands who are akin with yourself. You know, sometimes even better than yourself. That's always a good choice. And um, you know, um, get get the right people in. You know, uh, and uh, warming up an audience. This is it because the pandemic brought to light a lot of a lot of stuff for lots of musicians. For me, it was quite prevalent that. God, we miss live audiences. You know, you can write the best song in the world, but or what you think is the best song in the world, saying about things keeping you going, and um, you know, you you miss someone else to actually say, yeah, that's shit, or that's all right, or that's great. You know, you you miss that kind of, you know, you miss the the third wall or whatever. You know, you miss, you miss the audience as a live musician. So if the audience is right and you're all in, in sync with each other, it's the best feeling in the world. You know. Um, so energizing the audience i guess if there's an element of luck involved sometimes you could be in a terrible mood and the audience is really into it and yeah obviously that's the artistry i suppose that's the magic trick 
the audience doesn't know that you're you don't really want to be there <laughs> or you're in a great mood and the audience is you know fucking you know blows you down and there's not really into it that evening so so you just have to each time just have a try and have a, an air of professionalism and just enjoy it and just you know go with the flow really a little bit you know you're only as good as your last show when you're a musician i think as well really you just try and always be at your best i suppose and hope that the audience you know um gets on board so let's talk about the songwriting now so a song comes into your yeah. head and what's the process because you've got so many songs so many albums and so yeah. how would you so how would you what's your process like in terms of writing a song is it a gradual process is, are they quite quick uh it varies i guess it varies i mean i've got quite a repertoire to fall back on and the more you fall back on stuff i guess that's where a little bit of artistry comes in in, in a very simple way is that when you um you have to have a decent memory as a songwriter, I think. You know, whether it's titles for songs, random lyrics, random things that people say to you that are poignant or and somewhat poetic. I, I seem to store them up, I think, you know, and put them into songs. But years later, you know, um, some, sometimes, um, like, I don't know, as a, as a weird example, but it's an example. My first album's called The Last of the English Cowboys. That's something that someone said to me when I was about, 20 years old because I wore I was wearing like a cowboy hat and some kid said look mum it's an English cowboy I'd never heard that before <laughs> so I remembered it like fucking 15 years later and called and, and all of a sudden it came to me when I was writing a song and that was it last English cowboys so that you know it's, it's that's as good as an example as I can give that happens to me a fair bit you know almost on a daily basis if I'm on a roll and writing a lot um I remember a lot of stuff you know Noel Gallagher once said that Wonderwall, that someone, it was something that he'd seen in an ad or something, or I don't know if this is right, but it was, he's always a bit vague about stuff like that. But it was, it was just a random title that, that had come to him that someone had said or he'd seen on TV in an ad. Imagine, the song Imagine by John Lennon, he, he was, it's in, it was in an ad. It was like, imagine, you know, and he was playing the piano and he just, you know, called the song that. So it varies with titles and stuff like that. But there's lots of things involved with the process but i you know of writing songs i guess the quick a quick answer is having a half decent memory for very random trivial things is <laughs> something that is a talent that i have <laughs> um whether it's from tv shows or popular culture or other bands uh or things that people say to me and uh yeah sometimes you come up with a melody first you know you'll you'll whistle a melody to yourself you know um uh, to quote, you know, George Harrison, it's not, it's not Mozart, you know. <laughs> when I write and, you know, you'll, you'll whistle something and if, you, if it's any, of any note and any good, you know, you remember it, I suppose. You think, oh, that was all right. And I'll record to myself and, and um, play along. Sometimes it can take weeks, though, and sometimes a couple of days to write a song. Weeks or a couple of days, that's what I kind of thought. That seems about natural. And uh, Yeah, you write... it just depends. Sometimes a very simple one can take weeks because you, you, you're worried about the lyrics. If it's more of a ballad, you think, oh, God, the lyrics are more... Sometimes if it's a punky one or, or more theatrical one, the lyrics just all come together and it's, and it's quite complete. And it's having that confidence in yourself to say, well, it's, it's done. You know, that's why I guess for lots of musicians like maybe Radiohead, I think, said that once. Tom York said that once. Having a great producer like, I don't know, uh, what's the guy, Nolja Gordrich, they, they work with. You know, he's like a, a second party who says, right, it's ready. 
you know, because sometimes you'll go around in circles and say, oh, it's never ready. So I'm, I'm quite lucky that I have the conviction these days to say, right, that's ready. I'm going to release it, I guess, you know, with, with songs. And, when it, and it kind of laments it as a piece of art when it's recorded or more importantly, when you play it live, actually going back to the live question and audiences, you know, if you get a good reaction from an audience, you think, oh, that's not a bad song, you know, it's ready. Yeah, and people in general, they've compared you to quite a few artists, but in a really, like, yeah. in a good way. And, and you know, especially my favourite bands like Radiohead, and you mentioned yeah. Tom York a minute ago, in, in, in them sort of way. I try and write happy-go-lucky kind of Easter bunny, Easter bunnies jumping about, you know, and um, but it ends up they all get blown up by, you know, dynamite or something, and it always ends up kind of dark in my songs. <laughs> um uh but uh yeah i don't know there's a certain, certain way right sorry what was the question again mate <laughs> oh good um, about melancholic sorry oh yeah something about what was the saddest song you've heard oh the saddest song i've heard uh well that's a, that's a very good question actually uh probably uh just because i was listening to it yesterday is probably it's not sad it's actually poignant but there's it's sad because it, it's one that could make me cry has a capacity to make me cry it's probably imagined by john lennon but there's lots there's too almost too many to choose from i like sad songs well let's talk about that one cause... There's, there's a sadness it's an eeriness that makes it kind of like i don't know it's it gets the hairs in the back of your neck and it's like the lyrics are so beautiful in it really in my opinion well let's talk about that because in the news the other day it came up that um yoko ono was kind of given the award or the songwriting credit for the man. Mm. I, mean, I saw I mean, the video, but let me see ridiculous. if that's actually on Wikipedia or something. Let me see if they actually changed it's Ridiculous, because he, he, I'm, a, I'm a Lennon fanatic, I guess. I'm a proper Lennon fan. And, and he had a style. He had a certain they style. changed it. He had a certain style of writing, and which, which stayed the same, actually, even when he was with John. And every Ooh. period of his recording, I think, was that you can see a direct line as much as... Kurt Cobain did in his songwriting as much as Tom York does there's a certain style however distance you try and get from yourself as a songwriter it will always sound like you that's an old Lennon quote actually <laughs> that some Bob Dylan said to him you know because John Lennon had lots of different facets to his personality you know there was the kind of cheeky one he was a very good love songwriter he was good at ballads he was good at that kind of psychedelic period but it was all him you know it all sounded like John Lennon and like like you know he had a style of writing you know as much as Dickens has a style of writing. Wow. You know. Well, two fun facts. In my, in my opinion. Some people have dropped in some comments here. They've heard everything we're saying. So they said, one, fun fact, Lennon's Steinway piano, on which he composed Imagine, was bought by singer George Michael in 2000 to keep it in the UK. Two. Oh, wow. Apparently, yes, Mikey's right. They did change the, the, the songwriting credit posthumously of John Lennon to John and Yoko. yeah. Because, uh, what did I say? Humusly, yeah. So, ain't no hummus in this, mate. It's, no, it's a deli. Um, apparently, Lennon said that a lot of the songwriting content came from Yoko Ono. And they took the sound recording of him saying that. Now, um, I think I think that was... I think, that was, I, 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 I think that's kind of indicative of his character as well. Someone once said about his first wife that if you asked him to describe his first wife, he'd say, oh, she's the funniest, most beautiful person. She's amazing. She's incredible. She'll have everyone up and dancing at a club. If you met his first wife, um, Cynthia, 
she was the quietest woman, you know. <laughs> I think I think Lenin's world was, you know, people to Lenin were created in his his own eyes because he did have a very good imagination, you know. He has an overactive imagination, and I think there are people that are like that nowadays. We might say ADHD or some, you know, some something. <laughs> but uh, but but in those days, I think I think he was kind of an excitable sort of character that was that was over enthusiastic about people he cared for. But there you go. That's that's my two pennies worth. Oh no, no, I like those two pennies. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can keep the change. If you weren't in, if you weren't in music or anything, what would you be doing? Mm, well, I have a day job. You know, I've, people ask me that. It's, I've, I'd love to do music full time. I work in a hat shop. I've heard about this. Uh, yeah, because you have always yeah, fantastic, yeah. impeccable hats. <laughs> You know, I'm going to have to pay my mortgage, you know. Izzy doesn't pay the bills. It's my every second thought, I guess, music and songwriting and stuff. And and, uh, and it's never dissipated, you know. But, uh, yeah, Where I is the hat store? Can, hat people, can people come and get their bespoke, aren't they? They're like very... You... Yeah. Oh, no, but you, you do off the peg as well. We do bespoke. Bespoke is a slightly newer thing the last few years. So we, we properly do bespoke. But, yeah, uh, I mean one in Covent Garden. It's like a family thing. It's my brother. Uh, wait, I'd like to see him be involved. He started it, and it's nice. But that's that's my day job. I must admit, I keep it quite separate from music, just because it is my day job. And I think if you, it's like if you're a um, a nurse and you're a nurse in the week, but you know, music's more than a, more than a hobby. Obviously, it's my it's kind of more than a passion. I don't know. It's an undescribably it's a great love of my life. So I like I kind of leave that behind a little bit because otherwise people will be messaging me about flipping hats. And I'm trying to write a song, <laughs> if you see what I mean. You know, it's a separate world. You know, it's like I'm like Banana Man. I'm like the, the kid by day and Banana Man in the evening. You know, I'm a hatter by day and a musician at night. You know, it's a dual life, <laughs> isn't it? That's most musicians these days, which is nice. And, and can I ask, what musician yeah. do you most admire? Mm, and why? Well, that's a good. That's a good question. Again, it's like I've got one of those kind of dumb minds where like thousands of people are popping in my head at once. If I'm asked a simple question, mm. uh, it probably what it probably was, but I don't have gone on about him, haven't I? It, from from nostalgic reasons, it was probably um, John Lennon. He was the first person I warmed to. I also like Kurt Cobain very very much, maybe as much, but probably John Lennon tips the thing. And uh, let's say I'm going to say. Yeah, because he is a musician, but he's known more as a, a poet and musician. Either that, so John, Len I'm going to pick three. <laughs> if that's all right. Yeah, go on. <laughs> I'm going to say I'm going to say John Lennon, Kurt Cobain, and Nicky Wire from the Manic Street Preachers. And I'm not going to explain why, <laughs> <laughs> unless you want me to. <laughs> no, you might. Then we will we'll find their journey. <laughs> yeah, it's all quite different, really. But uh, there's a certain sadness, I suppose, that goes along with him. You know, the, John Lennon, his, his guy, I, I suppose, picking him because it's famous. He's, he's a good reference for that. But Coco Bay is probably similar. His, his life that he led reflected very much his artistry. And that's, that's a good artist for me, I suppose. If you can do that, that's why so many people still admire people like that because there's an honesty and there's, there's, an, there's, a, there's it's, it gave me confidence to say, you know, if you love someone, then you can say "I love you" in a song. You know, it's 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 hard to explain. Or if, you, if you're pissed, if you're annoyed at something, you can be annoyed at something in a song. You know, is there's an honesty that goes with it. Um, that kind of that kind of artistry, and it's and you don't appreciate that as much. I mean, now nowadays it seems to have dissipated a little bit. You know, it's hard. It's harder to find. There's still people that write from the heart. But it's a little bit harder to find, I suppose, at the moment. Probably the last five or ten years. What's your most popular song? 
And why do you think it is the most popular song? And why do you think? It's well, it's, as far as I'm aware, it's one called, and it's probably linked, linking without tenuously linking it to the last question. Uh, it's a song called "Falling in Love Again." Broken pieces of our hearts remain. And out of all of my songs, people, I think if I listen back to it, I don't listen to my music that much, and you know, I, I try and write, keep on going and write new stuff. But if I listen back to it, there's a kind of an honesty to it, I suppose, that people dig. You know, it's it's falling in love again. And I actually wrote it about a relationship breakup, and I was kind of rekindling a love for myself. You know, because I'm so kind of down about the relationship breakup that it was kind of there is that thing after a relationship where you're trying to refine yourself a little bit and that's what that song is about and and I think people get that and and the lyrics aren't complex and they're not you know it's the chorus is from falling in love again falling with you and it but it's about it's a reflection of you know it's falling in love with with yourself really so I think that's that seems to be my most uh the song that seems to get the message across because as a songwriter you're always trying to get your message across trying to get your your kind of most innermost thoughts across and sometimes it can be as simple as that you know i don't it's like the beatles i want to hold your hands you know as complex as the beatles got there was the childlike quality of them are probably some of their most popular songs still you know and then falling in love again the verse can you just walk us through the verse the lyrics of that Mm, broken pieces of our hearts remain uh, to wear old dreams, replace the new, uh, stuck a needle into my dirty veins, um, uh, stuck a needle into my dirty veins, um, uh, but I, um, what is it, <laughs> hold on a minute, uh, um, like a piece of I have a main, uh, to wear old dreams, replace the new, stuck a needle into my dirty vein, and I, uh, I can't remember the next bit, just stuck on that bit. <laughs> Well, it's like sorry. By the way, I'm sat I'm sat around King's Cross, and it's like it's it's absolutely it's packed. I found the quietest place I could I could I could sit. Also, there's Eurostar. There's Eurostar taking off every couple of minutes as well. I'm sat cool. sat near King's Cross, cold it, off it, yard. It's inspirational. And like, there's three songs I love by yours. Is there's Falling in Love Again. In oh, I stuck a needle into a dirty vein, and I wanted you from the start. Yeah, I guess that's that. that that's that's what it is. Yeah, and it's like. It's kind of. Um, it's not about heroin, is it? It's not about heroin, but I. But I, it, that's a very. That's something I'm kind of interested in as an Englishman. Is that in English art? This is only a, a, a very loose comment, and it's only me saying it. Sat here in King's Cross, but in movies, music, and whatever. If you mention the word sex or you mention the word drugs, uh, people assume that that whole the whole pie is you know the whole thing or it's all encompassing it's all about sex and drugs you know if you, if if there's sex in an english film uh, it would be always oh, a sexy film you know whereas in a french film for an example it's slightly more open there might be a sex scene but the whole film isn't about sex there might be someone taking drugs but the whole film isn't about someone taking drugs in england we still can't get over even 2022 you know that kind of element of uh, it's just a part of life drugs are smoking are depression is love is uh, poetry is, you know, it's quite, it's quite broad life. 
you know. <laughs> That's an interesting way of looking at it. I like that, where you talk about so, European so, No, so a, a long way of answering the question is, no, the, the song isn't about heroin, nor is it about taking drugs. But I think it's it's the undertone of that line is, uh, what is it, uh, stuck a needle into the dirty vein and I wanted you for, straight from the start. It's unrequited love, you know. Even if it was someone that was sticking a needle into a dirty vein, you, you know, you would still love them type thing, you know. It's, uh, it's there's an unrequitedness to that to that line, I suppose. But that's another one as well. I, uh, well yeah, in my wildest heart, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, in, my, in a wildest heart, that's it. That's it. No, that's but it. It, it, it could be called in my wildest dreams. To be fair, yeah. You say that, yeah. Well. But that's that's quite an honest song. Yeah, people seem to. When I started restarted doing this solo thing um, about five years ago, that was the first one I demoed and the first one I recorded. Because I recorded with this lovely guy from Manchester. He's a good producer. He's worked with Placebo and all sorts of people. And I'm on album three with him. But I've been working with him now for five years. And that was the first single. So that whole special memories as well. That was the first single I released um, properly with him uh, was uh, In My Wildest Heart. And that as well is quite a simple song. But it has it seems to speak to a slightly wider demographic, even for me. Even if I try and do something artsy or... Um, profound, you know, you're always searching for that as a songwriter. I don't know where it's saying about there's a madness that comes in. I don't know why I think like that, mm-hmm. but I always do. You think, oh, I'm trying to try and do something profound. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, it just, it just, it, it's the more simple stuff. Everyone I like, actually, in, include from the Beatles to a movie director called Paul Thomas Anderson, is known as one of the great directors these days. There's a song of, there's a film of Paul Thomas Anderson. Out of all the profound, beautiful films he's made, and all the big budget ones, there's a film he made in the 90s called Punch Drunk Love, and it's just a simple little love story, and it's quite a sweet film, and that's one of my favourite films of his. You know, just as a, a little example, on we're outside tracking too much. Sorry, that's with Adam Sandler. I've never actually saw that one. Shall I worth seeing it? It's guys great. Yeah. If you want to, it's a perfect Easter movie. It's quite a, you know, it's quite a, a sweet little love story, and it's got one of my favourite actors. Uh, He's not around anymore. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's in it as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is a really good movie. Adam Sandler as well is great in it. You know, and it's Adam got, Sandler. Probably is a British actress. Can't remember her name, but there's a good, there's a good British actress in it as well. And um, But, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson is regarded as, oh, yeah, he's like this great, not indie director, but, you know, great director. He's like the Kubrick of his generation. I mean, which he is great. You know, if you watch that and then you watch There Will Be Blood, you're like, what? That guy did that movie? You know. But it's a really sweet film. And sometimes, however profound you're going to be, you want to be, um, sometimes the simple stuff speaks more volumes, you know, I guess. My very simple songs seem to be my most popular ones. Even my mum says that. <laughs> I listen to my mum more than anyone. Hello there. <laughs> so I'm just waving at this kid's waving at me. Hello there. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Yeah. <laughs> They're walking about on my mobile. <laughs> yeah. That's jokes, man. So look, we're coming to the end. But I, I digress. Sorry for digressing. There's no digressing. I want people to find yeah. more of <laughs> your music. I want people to go on the website, which is olivershawmusic.com. Ah, uh, yeah. And you're on all the platforms as well, like music distribution stuff like Spotify and iTunes and YouTube. I'm on it all. I'm on it all. You can find it all at that uh, olivershawmusic.com. Um, uh, so yeah, YouTube. YouTube's the one I'm most proud of, actually, um, because in all this weird, wonderful world of entertainment these days, uh, it seems quite sustainable. 
you know, musicians can get like thousands of listens on Spotify and then that kind of just all of a sudden dissipates and you feel terrible about your art, you know, mm-hmm. which is, this is my point again. Like, I, you know, you can have like 10,000 listens on Spotify and then like two months later, you're on about 80. <laughs> you know, what happened? Why, why, does everyone, why does everyone hate me? Whereas YouTube is quite nice because you can watch these videos and refer back to it and, you know, and it's quite nice. You think, oh, wow, I've had loads of views, you know. So I, you know, I use that more. I, I actually promote that more than anything, to be honest. And I'm really proud of my videos as well. They're quite eclectic. That's the thing. You're putting loads of time into videos and you, you, you always put out stuff. And one day we're, we're going to be in a collaboration and make a video as well. And I'm really looking forward to, at least I forget, working with yourself, mate, by yeah. the way. I can't wait, actually. I'm working with Mr. Mikey. It's going to be fucking... I, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm actually sketching today because I sketched little storyboards. And so, yeah, um, whoever's listening, uh, myself and Mikey are collaborating on my next music video, which is my first single from the third album out this summer. Woo-hoo. And I'm really excited about it. Yeah, woohoo! Exactly. It's Happy be, Easter. Happy Easter, exactly. <laughs> Easter celebration, the Passover. It's all come yeah. full circle. Well, which is... Great. It is. Happy, happy Passover. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So absolutely yeah. amazing, and thank you so much for coming on the show. And um, mate, it's an absolute pleasure. I really thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure, mate.